Well, good morning, everybody. I <clears throat> hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, I did. I got to visit some, some of my family in upstate New York and, uh, and uh, drove back last night. So it's just a, it's a good time to, to just be with, uh, with family. Amen. We, um, we're in a sermon series and going through uh, the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, which is essentially probably one of three, if not four letters that Paul wrote to a church that he founded in ancient Greece, uh, known as the city of Corinth. And uh, he has been, we're, we're, in, we're in chapter seven right now. So we've been like each, each week been going through, I think almost a chapter a week, um, maybe, maybe hovered over one chapter uh, twice. But like we've been going through, Paul's been addressing issues that he's heard about and communicating his love for, uh, for this church. And chapter seven is the first time where essentially he's direct, directly addressing and answering questions that, that the people of the church had previously submitted. So we don't have a list of those questions though. The problem is, is like, we don't have the letter that the church in Corinth sent to, pa- to, to Pastor Paul, you know, like, hey, these are some things we'd like to know. Here are the que-. We essentially have to surmise what the questions were based upon the answers that Paul gives in chapter 7. And um, the questions seem to circle around the issues of singleness and marriage. Like, hey, like, should we get married? Should we not be married? Should we stay single? What does it look like? What about sex and marriage? What about sex outside of marriage? All these different things about, about, about singleness and, and about marriage. And, and if you've been with us for the past few weeks, I mean, the past few couple weeks have been a doozies. Um, and, and this week, he's addressing significant issues as well in that same vein about singleness and, and marriage. And what I'm, what I'm going to attempt to do today is essentially look at not necessarily the nitty-gritty of uh, chapter 7, but look at like a 30,000-foot view of what Paul is communicating to this church that he dearly loves. And uh, before we get too deep, it's important to understand one thing in particular, and this is very important for us to even move forward and for me to even continue talking and working through chapter 7 together, is this. Um, Paul's options for relationship statuses um, are super simple, super simplified, and especially in light of our culture. It's important to realize that we see and read Scripture usually through our own lens. And so in our culture, we have many, many, many relationship status options. You can either be single, or you can be single and ready to mingle, or you can be dating around, or you can be sleeping with somebody, or you can be exclusively seeing each other. In other words, like we're kind of a couple here. You can be cohabitating. You can have cohabitating so long as it's a common law marriage. You can be engaged. You can be married, or you can be, it's complicated, um, at least on Facebook. Um, It's very fluid, very, very, very fluid. And Paul, Paul sees us as two relationship status options. One is single and the other is married. Um, it's really important for you to see this because um, essentially if, if you're like Paul was reading and he was here and he was like talking to you and you're like, well, well we're dating and um, so that way I'm not single, right? Like, or we're married in our hearts, right? Or something like that. Then Paul's like, so no, you're single. You're like, well, no, 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 you didn't hear me, Paul. Like, we're like so in love. (laughs) 
And we've been like dating for like three months and it's been glorious, right? So we're, I'm not single, Paul, anymore. I'm off the market, right? Like he's so awesome. Isn't he cute? Um, Paul's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand, sweetie. Like you are single. Like either you're married or you're single and you're single unless you're married. This this distinction is huge, and I need you to understand this because you won't grasp or understand what it is that Paul's talking about unless you really grasp and understand how Paul views relationship status. You're either single or you're married. So let's talk about marriage for a minute. Um, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just literally just talking about where our culture is at when it comes to marriage. Um, statistically speaking, around 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, there's new, like, studies out there, and you're like, well, actually, no, it's 45%. Or, well, you know, it's actually higher than that. Like, whatever. The reality is, is somewhere around 50% of marriages end in divorce, essentially, the flip of a coin. Now, if you boarded a plane, and um, right when you get on, and then, you know, how the, the captain gets on, and he's like, this is your captain speaking. Uh, you know, I just like to you know what word. If we do land... Uh, there's a 50-50 chance that that could happen. We're going to land in beautiful, sunny Florida. It looks like 85 degrees and absolutely gorgeous. That is if we don't crash and burn. But it's the flip of a coin. 50%. Thank you very much. I mean, like, would you fly very often? I wouldn't. Or at least, at least, at the very, very least, if that was the odds, if it was like the flip of a coin, whether I was going to get on a plane, board it, and actually land and not have a fiery death, I would probably do my best to at least do like my own thorough check of the plane. But I don't know what a plane is supposed to do. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I would walk around it. I would be like, turn the engines on. They sound engine-y. Okay, cool. Like, I'd be like, full tank of gas. Clunk, clunk, clunk. I, and I would be like, the, the wings look attached goodly. So I think we can go. It's, it's a go. Okay, engines forward, go. And I would get, I'd maybe get on the plane if I had the opportunity to kind of look around. And even though your marriage, if you're married, has a statistical success rate of a coin flip, I'm amazed at how many people run haphazardly and rush into marriage. And as a pastor, I'm actually even more amazed um, at how engaged couples will look at me like I have two heads when I say that we require over six, six sessions of premarital counseling. Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That will hopefully help to prepare you for a better success rate than a coin flip. And when you put it that way, you're kind of like, huh. Yeah, I probably would. Like, if I could get up to 70%, like, that'd be pretty sweet, right? Like, I mean, if I, could, if I could actually, like, work on some things before I make the mistakes and before we say things that we can't take back and before we do things that we can't undo, like, that would probably be a good idea. So enough about marriage. Um, if you're single in here, um, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, um, if you're single in here, I am sure, I'll just speak to the single people in here, all the single ladies, I'll speak just to single people in here. Um, if you, I'm sure that you love the conflicting dating advice that you get 
from everybody. And you probably just went to, to uh, you know, spend some time with family for, um, for Thanksgiving, and you heard all kinds of dating advice. And most people were just concerned, like, how come you're not married yet? And we want some grandbabies, you know. And, like, all of these things that just kind of make you feel awkward and weird. And so you, and you get, it, like, all kinds of conflicting dating advice. If, you, if you're young and you've got a youth pastor, the youth pastor's like, you shouldn't date. You should court. And you're like, what, what does that even mean? I don't even know how to do that, right? And you have friends, and they're like, well, you should try a dating app like me. Um, if you have a Christian friend, they're like, you shouldn't use that dating app. You should use a Christian dating app. Or you shouldn't use a dating app. You should trust in God, right? And you're like, oh, oh so no, no dating that. And then your parents are like, well, you should make a list of, of all the th- qualities that you want in a future spouse. And then you should like, try to pick your spouse based upon the list that you have. And um, the world will tell you, well, you just need to find someone, then try to like, move in with them. and Because that, that's the best way to find out if that's going to actually be a good match. Because you, you just need to like, move in with them. And, and, then, and then live kind of as a married couple, and then you'll figure out, like, is this a person that I actually want to marry? Or you can watch The Bachelor. <laughs> and in The Bachelor, you'll quickly realize that this is the way you do it. You make out with five people, fall in love with two of them, give one person the rose, and then break up three months after the show's over. Like, this is... I get it. Okay, I got this. This is how I do it, right? Like, this is how... And so you're like, if you are single and confused... No, duh. Like, you're probably like, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to, I don't know how I'm supposed to meet somebody. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know which advice I'm supposed to take. And the Apostle Paul speaks right into your situation, right where you're at. So whether you're married, whether you're single, the Apostle Paul has some advice for you today in chapter 7. Now, I say advice because this. I firmly believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, that it's the inspired Word of God. Chapter 7 is really interesting, though, because if you read it, Paul actually makes a delineation between, like, this is what the Holy Spirit's saying, and then this is just Paul. This is what I think. This is what I do. This is based upon my experience. This is based upon my wisdom, based on even my, my past and, and all of the, my experiences. This is what I would recommend you, but this is just what I would do. This is what Paul says. And then, he, then he'll switch and he'll go, but this is of the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that even as Paul is penning and writing his letter, he is very much aware of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his pen, on his life. And so as he's writing, he's like, now this is of God. This is the Holy Spirit. And this may be of God, but this is just my own wisdom. It, it's, and both of which are, are valuable to us as we try to figure out what it looks like, how to live single, how to live, live married, and what that looks like to live in a healthy relationship. But Paul makes those two, two distinctions. It's really, really interesting. So to the singles, all the single people in here, verse 7, he says this, I wish that all of you were as I am. Now pause. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's single. At the writing of this letter, he is a single guy, and he is talking to all the single people that are in the church in Corinth. He's saying, I wish that all of you were as I am. And this isn't because he's looking for eligible bachelorettes. He's literally saying, like, I wish that you were all like me. And then he goes on. He says, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Can we just pause and realize recognize that Paul just told them, I wish that all of you were single. That is like mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing to them in the culture that they live in. It's mind-blowing to us in the culture that we live in because it is so dynamically different from what, what the world seems to communicate to single people. 
Because singleness seems like it's wrong, like you shouldn't be. Or if you're single, it should be a very short time because you need to get back on the horse. You need to find the one. You need to find the right one. You need to, you need to date around. You need to find somebody. Singleness all in the world seems like you're, you're stuck. And Paul, I want, to, I want to say this. Paul says you're not stuck. In fact, he says that singleness is a gift. It's a gift. That, that is unheard of in pulpits around America and in our world around America. Like, he's like, singleness is cool. Singleness is a gift. Not only that, Paul uses that same word when he says gift for all the other times throughout his letters when he is describing the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. That word charisma, he says, this is a gift. That marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. And I feel like I wrote this down because I feel like it's a prophetic word for people in here. Some of you that are single in here, you need to hear this. I wrote down, you have felt like you were delayed or that you are less than, but God does not see you that way. Some of you are in here and have been given the gift of singleness. You have been given the gift of singleness. So you don't have to try to get out of it. You don't have to try to rush, out of, rush into marriage or feel like you're less than or that you're somehow broken God looks at you and he says, I don't see you like that. I have given you the gift of singleness. It's not wrong. It's right. Amen? Thank you. That's good. That's it. That's it. And, I, and uh, let me remind you that Jesus Christ saved the world as a single guy. And let me remind you that the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, was a single guy. Like, and loving it. And he's like, I wish that you're all like me. So in a world where we are crazy about relationships and finding the next relationship, the next date, the next, the next person that's going to fulfill us and complete us, Paul's like, I'm single. I wish you all were. I'm single and loving it. Verse 17, he goes on. Verse 17, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So, even if your singleness, let's say your singleness and you're like, look it, I am single, but I don't feel like I want to be single or I'm called to be single for the rest of my life. I understand that. That's cool. That's great. But even if your singleness is only for a season, embrace the season that you're in. Yes. Yes. Embrace it. So often we're like, well, I'm single and it's time to tick in. My biological clock is, you know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to start a family. I've got to find the one. And so we, we rush into the relationship after the relationship after the next relationship thinking that maybe this is going to be the one. And, and I think what Paul is, is encouraging the Corinthian church, what I would even say to, to those of you in here that are single is embrace the season that you're in. If you're single, embrace it. Let God work in you and through you and his purposes in your singleness. Do you realize that if you're single in here, you have freedoms right now to do things, to go on adventures in the Lord that you couldn't do if you're married? And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a reality. You're in a season of life right now where you could go and do things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do if you had a husband or a wife and children and all of these things that you have to care for and to take, and to, and to, and to take care of. So embrace the season that you're in. If you're single, embrace it. And if you're married, embrace it. <laughs> Even if it's hard, especially if it's hard. Because marriage, oftentimes, God is working something in you and out of you through your marriage. 
And so the single people are like, man, I just can't wait to get married so then I can like finally like arrive into the season that I want to be in. And some of you are married and you're like, man, I wish I was back to where you were in when I was free, right? And that's just a reality. And God's saying like, embrace the season that you're in. And every season in life has a blessing. Every season. So do not run away from the hard places. If you're single and you're in a hard place, don't try to run out of it. If you're married and you're in a hard place, don't try to run away from it. Embrace the season that you're in. Lean into it. Lean into the season that you're in. Amen? Amen. Then he goes on in verse 28. He says, and this is kind of like his overarching marriage advice and why he writes chapter 7 and answers the questions. He says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Let me read that one more time. I didn't see many hankies waving. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hanky. Paul's, <laughs> Paul's saying like, okay, look, I, I wish that you were all single. Stay single. That would be awesome. But if you want to get married, then here is Paul's premarital counseling. He gives you like chapter seven. He's going to outline four things, four qualities that you need to work on before you get married. So if you're, if you're single in here and you're like, no, I know that I'm not called to be single, that I, I, God's given me a grace for this season of my life, but one day I want to invest into a marriage relationship, then here are the thing, four things that Paul says, these are four qualities that you need to work on before you get married. And if you are married, no matter where you're at in your marriage, these are some things you can listen in because there are probably some things that you need to work on in your own marriage. The first one is this. Be secure in Christ. Be secure in Christ. He says it in verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in, catch this, in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's reminding single people, he's saying marriage is not your purpose which is huge, which is huge because in, in our day and age, it's like, well, you know what? I'm just a single person and I need to find somebody. I need to find the right one, the one, or just anyone so that I can get married because I'm, I'm a half a person. I need to be complete. I need that person to complete me. And Paul is reminding them that marriage is not your purpose. Whether you are married or whether you are single, your purpose is to, he says it in verse 35, to live in undivided devotion to Jesus. And out of that undivided devotion to Jesus, single person, you can now build a healthy marriage because you're not, you're secure in Christ. So you're not looking for somebody else to complete you. You're not looking for some guy to, to finally give you validation or worth. You are secure in Christ. So whether you're married or single, you can now walk in undivided devotion to Jesus and treat somebody and love somebody out of that. Amen? Amen. So make sure, I see that, so make sure your security is in Jesus. Because healthy marriages are built upon healthy individuals. So if you want to end up married and happy, then you need to start out single and secure. Let me say that one more time. If you want to end up married and happy, you need to start out single and secure. And so many people, so many people have not figured out how, how, to, how to be single and secure. And so they, they rush into marriage 
thinking that marriage will bring them the security that they're looking for, only to be disappointed that their spouse doesn't fulfill them or give them purpose like they wished. Be secure in Christ. And when you never allow yourself to be single and secure, you will put yourself into a cycle where you are constantly needing someone else to validate you. You are constantly needing someone else to bring you worth. That next relationship is going to bring you worth. That, next, that marriage is going to finally validate you. When you are unwilling or unable to find yourself single and secure, you end up building a marriage on very rocky ground. Because when we have not found our security in Christ, we'll be tempted to, to find our worth in dating relationships, to find our worth in marriage. And the problem is, the problem is, is that we live in a world that, that kind of tells us or makes us at least feel like we're not a whole person if we're single. We see it like we hear things like, uh, you complete me because we, we saw it on a movie and it sounded really romantic. And so we start to, maybe we don't necessarily believe that, but it's a sentiment that we kind of like all throughout our romantic poetry and in our movies and in our rom-coms that all you girls like, it's this idea that like, like that, that I need someone to complete me. In other words, if we're not actually thinking this whole way through, we're saying I'm not a whole person. I'm, I'm actually half a person at best. And if I can find the one, the one that makes me feel all, all giddy, that person will finally complete me. I need to find that soulmate that's going to complete me. And when you think that someone else needs to complete me, needs to complete you, you will always be needy and you will settle for less. What do I mean by that? If you believe that you need someone else, that guy, that girl, that marriage, that relationship, if you need someone else to finally complete you, you will always be needy. You're always going to be like, oh, I, I have a hole. I have a gaping hole, and I need that, this person to fill me. I need this relationship to give me validation. I need this marriage to give me worth. And not only will you find yourself continually needy, you will end up settling for much less than you deserve. You'll just take anybody. Oh, you looked at me too, too long, so you must like me. And so, wait, we should get married. We should move in together. We should get date. We should, we, you must be the one because you feel like you are completing me. And when we don't find our, our, our security and our identity in Christ first, then we will always be needy and we will settle for less. But secure people, people that are single and secure, they need less and they expect more. What I mean by that is like, if, let's say you're, you're, you're a girl in here and you're single. Um, you, if you're single and secure and you're just like, you know what, like I found my identity, I found my security in Jesus Christ, you can, you can kind of like say, you know what, look, I'd like to have a husband one day. That'd be great. But I'm certainly not going to settle for a little boy, Larry, that's trying to replace his mom. Right? I don't need it. Like I actually don't need you to, to I, 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 I'm not signing up to be a mother of, of a grown man. I'm actually signing up to be a teammate, a, a, a person a, that is going to, we're going to walk together on the same mission in the same path in the same direction. And you're going to hold me accountable and I'll hold you accountable, but I'm actually not looking to be your mom. Like I'm actually looking for somebody to be a teammate with me. And so somebody who is single and secure, has no problem just being single and waiting for the person that God places in their life and say, you know what, this, 
This is, I'd like to have somebody in my life, but I don't need somebody in my life. I have Jesus Christ in my life. He, I am centered in my identity. I'm secure in him. I'd love to walk with you, but you're going to have to start stepping. You know, you're going to have to start walking. Amen. And then let, let's see where it goes. Great. Because when you know that Jesus Christ completes you, you're not looking for somebody to be your other half. It'd be great. I'd love to have someone come alongside, but I don't need somebody to come alongside to make me feel like I'm whole. Like my wife, Katie, um, she doesn't complete me. I'm just trying to keep up with her. I'm fully aware that I undoubtedly married up. Like that is, I know that. But I'm, I'm continually trying to work to be the best teammate that I can be together as we walk along the same path according to the same mission that God has placed us in. She doesn't complete me and I don't complete her. We're teammates working together and we're better together. And so God, God works those things out. But just know that you need to be secure in him first. The second point is this. Know what you're getting into. If you're looking to get married and you're like, I don't know, I just really like it. Everybody's getting married. Oh my gosh. It's like, I came back from like school break and they're all got their rings on and I want a ring and I want to move forward. I want to get married. Here's what I would say. Number two, know what you're getting into. Albert Einstein, who's a pretty smart guy, wrote this. Men marry women with the hope they will never change. Women marry men with the hope they will change. Invariably, they are both disappointed. <laughs> Let me read it again. Men marry women with the hope they will never change. You're always going to look the way you do at 20. Men, women marry men with the hope that they will change or you can change him. Invariably, they are both disappointed. Amen? We've had a lot of discussions over the past two decades about the definition of marriage. It's gone before the Supreme Court. It's gone um, even um, at a state level. We voted on it, and we have like, okay, well, what, what is the definition of marriage? And it has shifted greatly just over the past 20 years of the, the definition of what marriage is, what it isn't, what it entails, and all of that. But I find it interesting that in all of our attempts to bring definition to what marriage is and what it's not, that we never stop to ask the question, what is marriage for? What is marriage for? And as Christians, we should be considering the question, why did God create marriage in the first place? Like if we believe in an all-creator God, like that he ordains marriage, then why? Why did he do it? In our definition of trying to say like, no, this can be marriage and this can't be marriage or all this can be marriage, but this can't be, like we never ask the question like, why did God create it? And so when I, when I go into like premarital counseling um, with, with people, I'll ask them, one of the first questions I ask is, why do you want to get married? And sometimes it's like eerily quiet. It's awkward. Because it's, it's like they weren't expecting it. You know, they're like, oh. And normally the girl's like, because he makes me laugh. And he's like, because she's hot. You know what I mean? Like if he's going to be honest, that's what he's thinking. You know what I mean? Here's the, here's the reality. If, if you kind of get past all of those, like makes me laugh and she's hot, like, it really boils down to this variation of this answer. They make me happy. She makes me happy. He makes me happy. And here's the thing. There's nothing right or wrong about that answer. I'm just telling you that invari invariably I get something, some sort of answer that is based and distilled around the fact that they make you happy. Um, but there's so much more that God has for marriage than your happiness. 
what if the reason God created marriage was not for your happiness, but for your holiness, that he wanted to work in you and through you to bring the best out of you by sometimes bringing the worst out of you so that he could make you and mold you to be more like Christ. So if we go all the way back, back to the book of Genesis, right, which is a good place to start where God invented marriage, um, I want to give you three things that I'm just pulling out that why God created marriage, why he did it in the first place. The first one, Genesis 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. So the first thing we see is friendship. Adam needed a helpmate. He needed a suitable helper, someone to be a good friend to him, someone to help take care of each other. One of the, one of the most amazing things that I get to watch is older couples that are in the years of needing real help, that they help each other. Sometimes it's helping each other walk. Sometimes it's helping each other get into a car. Sometimes it's just at those, it's like for better, for worse, for richer, or poor, in sickness and in health. Like I love the fact that like you get to watch and have somebody walk alongside you and help you as you help them in their greatest time of need. Amen? So the first thing he says is friendship. The second thing is in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So the second thing that we see is common mission. That, that when, when God created woman out of the man, that they were set in the garden and their job was to not only name the different animals, but to take care of the garden, take care of the, the work that God had placed in their laps. And so they have a common mission that they're helping each other work towards, that they are teammates to do the thing, the mission that God has placed in front of them, that they have a common mission. So not only is it for friendship for that they can help care for each other, but that they have a common mission that God has placed over them and for their life and for their marriage and for their family. And they're working together in the same direction to see that accomplished. Common mission. Amen? Amen. The third one is this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So the third one is this, family, family. They were to reproduce in number. In other words, make babies. That's the fun part. No, no, but here's the thing. Not just making babies. They weren't called to just make babies. They were called to make a family and to raise up the next generation to be fruitful and multiply, not just to multiply, not just to procreate, but we are called to leave a legacy for the next generation to raise raise our children up and release them so that they can do more and better things than we were able to do in our generation. Amen? That's it. So why did God create marriage? In, the same, in, the, in this whole thing of like, we're going to vote on what the definition of marriage is. Why did he do it? Three things. Friendship, mission, family. Friendship, mission, family. So when you're, when you're looking for a spouse, what if we're asking the wrong questions because we actually don't know the right definition of what we're looking for? So rather than saying, like, are they hot or not, maybe we should be asking the question, are they a good friend to me? Do they care for me as I care for them? Rather than asking, um, do they have a job, which ladies in here, you better make sure he's got a job. I'm just going to tell you. 
Don't, don't you put a ring on it unless that guy's got a job. I'm just saying, I'm just speaking to the ladies in here. Y'all can, y'all need to get a job. But like, but like ladies in here, I'm just telling you, you're going to move forward. You're going you're to marry someone and just make sure the guy's got a job. So beyond that though, rather than asking do they have a job, maybe we should consider do we share the same mission? Because is he a Christian? Is he heading to the same direction that I want to go? Is he going to raise the same type of family that I want to raise? Not, oh my God, he's, he's so cute. Have you seen his eyes? Oh my God. His hair is like so cool. No, like, is, is he the type of man that, that I want to raise a family with? And maybe rather than asking, am I attracted to them? Maybe we should consider, are they going to be a good father, a loving mother to our children? Family. Friendship, mission, family. So, the third point is this. Be the right one. Be the right one. And we see in verse 35, Paul says, live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And I find that many times, especially for young people, and I totally get it, I find that like there is at least this mentality, maybe it's unsaid, but there's this kind of mentality like, I'm going to start living for God when I get married. But right now, I'm just kind of like sow my wild oats. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, just making, I'm just making my testimony right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'll get my lust problem under control when I get married. I'm going to start, like, get serious about my faith when I get married or I have kids. Or then, then I'm, then I'm going to get serious about this whole Jesus thing and all that kind of It's real to me, but it's, come on. I mean, like, I, I'm going to have some fun in the meantime. And when I get married, that's when I'm going to get serious. And Paul's reminding them, look, church, your singleness is not a waiting room. It's a launching pad. Your singleness is not a, a holding pattern. It's a preparation place for you to launch into the next phase of life if God has gifted you to get married. That it's, not, it's not a waiting room. It's, it's a launch pad. What you do today matters, and you don't build a life of character on a foundation of sin. And so we're like, well, you know, I'm just going to have some fun. I'm just going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to just move forward, all that kind of stuff. What you do today matters. I would like to submit to you that most of the marriage problems that we deal with are actually singleness problems. Things that we've never actually allowed ourselves to be single and secure and to work on our pride, to work on our selfishness, to work on our control issues. And, and so we think, well, I'm just going to get married and it's going to take care of my lust and, and I'm, I'm just going to get married and it's going to just fix me when all it does is actually magnify the things that are already in me. That's, it's usually what marriage does to us. And I feel like the church has for years done a disservice to Christians or even to the world at large. We just say, well, you just need to get married. You just need to get married. You just need to get married. You just need to get married because marriage is going to solve everything. But how many of you know that marriage doesn't improve your singleness issues? It just exposes them. And so when we take our, our singleness issues that we've undealt with, why? Because we haven't gotten serious about anything. We haven't allowed God to work in us to be single and secure. We bring those issues into our marriage, and it, all it does is magnify our singleness issues. And so when we have the, oh, she's this, and he's that, and they won't, and they can and I always, and they never, and all those things, most of the time, it's not necessarily marriage issues. It's most of the time singleness issues. Because marriage doesn't fix your character. It just exposes it. Marriage doesn't fix your lust problem. It just puts a ring on it. And so we, we go through our days thinking that marriage is going to fix it or complete us. 
And the thing is, I just got to find the right one. But as we look throughout Scripture, Scripture actually says that you need to work on being the right one. Be the right one. Like what if, what if you focused on becoming the person who you're looking for is looking for? What if that was the focus of, your, of, the, single, of the, 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 the time of being single and secure? I think a greater, even, a greater question and maybe a difficult question to be faced with is this. Would the person who you are looking for be looking for you? Based upon how you're living, based upon the choices that you're making, based upon the, the singleness and that, that you're walking out currently because what you do actually matters, would the person that you're looking for be looking for you? Maybe in our frantic attempt to, to swipe left or swipe right on potential date opportunities, what if we actually were rating the wrong person? What if, what if God's saying, I actually want you to start to become the person who the person you're looking for is looking for? And, and when you start to do that, all of a sudden, everything changes. That question flips everything on its head because no longer is the question, are they a good friend to me? No, the question is, am I a good friend to them? No longer is the question like, um, do, do, do we have, uh, does he have a mission that he's living for? No, the question is, do you have a mission that you're looking for someone to come alongside you to, to, to fulfill? Well, they don't, well, but do you? Well, the, in, in marriage, sometimes the, the, the marriage issue, well, she's not giving herself to me. Why well, are you giving yourself wholly to her? It, it changes everything. It, the, no longer is the question, well, is he a good father? No, the question is, am I a good teammate? Do we work together well? Are we a good team together? I would argue that marriage is one of the greatest ways for you to learn how to love another human being despite their flaws. Despite their flaws, you learn how to sacrifice for one another. You learn how to serve one another. You learn how to give yourself to one another. You learn how to lay down your rights and your life for one another. You learn how to uh, forgive one another. You learn how to 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 show mercy to one another. Come on, people. Like, there's a reality that marriage sometimes is the, the best proving ground for us to grow to be more like Jesus. See, if you go into marriage asking the wrong questions and rating the wrong person and chasing after your own happiness, you were setting yourself up for disaster. But if you go into marriage asking the right questions and rating the right person and seeking after, after holiness, you're setting yourself up for not only realistic expectations in your marriage, but for joy no matter what your marriage holds. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I know it's like, it's like drinking out of a fire hose with Paul talking about marriage and singleness and all of those things. I, I pray that those of you who are single in here, that, that you just wrote some of those things down and began to just say, I'm going to start praying about, about being secure in Christ. I'm going to pray about like, what am I signing up for, right? 
What are the, what are the things that, that, I'm, that I'm actually signing, signing up for that I'm going to be a part of? I'm going to be praying about being the right one and, um, and not just rating other people around me, but rating myself. Am I, the, am I becoming the person who the person I'm looking for is looking for? In verse 9, he says something weird, and I'll end with it. He says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. <laughs> Isn't that weird? He's like, it's better to marry than to burn. <laughs> Paul's not, here's, here's what I want you to understand. Um, as you just read verse 9, Paul's not saying like, well, if you're just too weak, you know, you just can't get yourself together. You can't keep your pants on. You can't, you can't say no. You can't, you can't have, you have no self-control. Then you should probably just get married because you're just, you're just weak. You can't handle it, right? A lot like me, right? That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Paul's not saying that, that your love and your passion, your sexual desire is wrong. He's saying that if you cannot or will not or are refusing to have self-control, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. He's a, you can marry or burn, Right? Because what? Fire can warm you or it can burn you, can it? Mismanaged passions can either harm you or help you. They can either warm you or, or burn you. And I find it really interesting in um, that same verse, in verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, in the, New King James, in the King James Version, the Old English Version, this is how it's translated. It says this, But if they cannot, this word, contain... Let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. What is he saying there? Paul's saying that fire is a good thing as long as it has a container. Fire is a good thing as long as it has a container. The first time um, I, was, I was adulting for the first time, I owned my own home and um, never, never knew how to do this before, but I had a burn pile Anybody ever, ever burn pile in their backyard? This is my first burn pile. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was doing it by myself, and we had cleared out a whole bunch of brush from the backyard. I had a burn pile that was probably about seven, eight feet tall and about 10 feet wide. It was just heaping with, with leaves and brush and sticks and logs and all kinds of stuff, pine needles, everything. I was just like, and I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. This is, like I said, I'm adulting. Um, I, I, we never had burn piles where I was from before. And so I'm like, I got, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this burn pile. I don't wanna try to take it someplace and, and I just need to, to get it to light on fire. And so I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do what I learned back in Cub Scouts. And so I just like, I put some like newspaper in the middle as far as I could. And then I just, I lit a match and I held it and I watched. And, and the newspaper literally burned up and went away and nothing caught on fire. And I was like, well, this isn't working. So my wife wasn't there, just so you know. I mean, she's my partner, but I just don't want her to think that stupidity actually follows her as well. And so I was like, I was out there by myself. And I had, I had a great, great idea. I was like, I know what burns. Gas. Gasoline burns. So I had like a big, one of those five-gallon jugs, those red things. And, and then I had a solo cup and I'm like, I know how to do this, right? And so I watched... And so I'm like, I pour it and I, and I literally, I've almost emptied probably half of it. I was walking around the whole thing. I wanted it to look soaked because I don't know how much gasoline is too much, right? Like it's kind of like prunes. Is one enough? Is two too many? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like 
you don't really know. So I'm like, you'll get that later. And so you're like, I'm pouring it on there. I want it to look wet. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm good. And so I decide this is when I should light it on fire. So I take a match and, and I light it and I stand back probably like six feet from it and I just throw it and it goes out in midair. And I'm like, no, shoot. What? So I get a little bit closer and I'm like, try to light another one and, and I throw it and it kind of just it hits one of the sticks, falls down and smolders and nothing happens. And I'm like, this stinking gasoline. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Like, so I decide I'm gonna take a piece of, um, like newspaper and I, and I do that thing where you kind of twist it and you make like a, like a homemade torch and I'm like, this will work. This will work. And I look around, make sure no one's watching and, um, and I light it on fire and I just like, okay, I get it going. You know, you turn upside down so the fire the flames go up and I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then I throw, <laughs> I throw it. I kid you not. There was a mushroom cloud. Like, the whole thing literally lifted off the ground. I watched it, like, just go boom, whoosh. And then the mushroom cloud went up. And the first thing you do, if you've ever done this before, you're like, do I have eyebrows? Do I have eyebrows? Because you're always shocked. You're like, I don't want to be that guy. Where you're like, I don't want pencil on my eyebrows. So I'm looking at, like, oh, my gosh. Stuff, like, literally, like, little flamed piles all over my yard. And of course, I didn't plan ahead. It's, like I said, I was adulting for the first time. So I didn't have water. Or like an Indian can, they say, I have no idea what that even means, right? They're like, well, I have charged toes. Like, what does that even mean, right? And so I'm walking around, like stomping on stuff and trying to put it out all over the place. Here's, here's my point. Here's my point. Fire that has a container will keep you warm, but fire that is not contained can quickly get out of control and burn you. Amen? The same thing that will keep you warm at night when it's in your wood stove can decimate acres of a forest in a day. The same thing. So in the words of Smokey the Bear, only you can prevent forest fires. Only you can prevent forest fires. Listen, Paul's reminding them. He's reminding the Corinthians. He's reminding you and I that there is a container for this passion. There is a container for your desire, for your sexual desire. There is a container for love that God has created, not because he's down on all that stuff, not because he doesn't like you, not because he's trying to restrict you, not because he wants you to have a boring life. He's like, I've got a container for it. It's called marriage. It's called marriage. And he's like, as long as, look, if, if you have a container that, that you're able to tend for a lifetime is so much better than a bonfire or an explosion that goes out very quickly and causes devastation in your life. Paul's reminder to all of us. Remember why he wrote it. He says this, verse 28. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. God is not looking for you to build explosions or forest fires. He's looking for you to build a fire that you can tend to for your life and to spare you the pain of the forest fire that will burn you when he talks about marriage, that there is an, there's an order to things. And it's not because he's like, he's so not with the 21st century. It's not because he's just like, well, you're just not woke enough. Or you're not, you, need to, you need to be more progressive, Jesus. He's like, no, I actually, I'm doing this because I've watched so many people get burned because they're so hell-bent on getting warm. He's like, if you, I've 
given you a container. It's called, it's called marriage. And Paul in chapter 7 is upholding marriage. He's like, this is not something that you should rush into, but it's also something that you shouldn't just avoid. It's not something that's going to solve your problems. It only exposes them. So embrace the season that you're in. If you're single, your singleness is not a problem for you to solve. Your singleness is a season for you to embrace. And if you're married, it does not always mean that your marriage is meant for your happiness. In many ways, it's God's way of producing holiness in you and showing us what true love looks like. It will let you to work out the fruit of the Spirit in you. That marriage many times is the thing, very thing that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And self-control. So as followers of Jesus, you have been given self-control. Exercise it. Choose to work in the container that God has given you so that you can have warmth and not get burned. So be secure in Christ. Know what you're getting into. Be the right person now. And only you can prevent forest fires. Amen? I want to pray with you in just a second, but I want to, I want to, this is an unabashed plug. January 27th, we're going to be having a marriage conference. I want to, I, I hope that everybody in here, whether you're like engaged, you're married, wherever you're at in, in your relationship, um, marriage is important and it's, it's time for you to invest in yours. And so for one evening on January 27th, we're going to be having a, some time with two people who actually helped invest in my marriage 23 years ago when Katie and I were going through premarital counseling. It's a less, Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. They have been writing curriculum and books about marriage and pre-marriage and counseling for decades now. So they kind of know what they're talking about. And uh, we'll be having private time of investing in relationships with them. Because no matter where you are in your, in your marriage, in your relationship, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always improve it. Amen? Amen. So Lord Jesus, I pray right now for the single people in here. Lord, I pray that they would not see themselves as less than or not whole people. I pray that they would realize that they can be secure in you. And when they are secure in you, they don't need somebody else to bring validation or worth to them, but that they can begin walking towards you and look to the left and to the right to another young person that is work walking in the same direction and say, hey, I, I'm looking for why God created marriage for friendship, for common mission, and for family. And so Jesus, I pray that you would place those people. If they are called to marriage and not called into singleness for their life, Lord, I pray that you would prepare them to, be, to build their marriage on a healthy, as healthy individuals, that they would be secure in you. And those of us who are married in here, Lord Jesus, I pray, no matter where we are, whether we're married and loving it, we're married and really having a difficult time, whether it's been six months of marriage or 50 years of marriage, Lord, I pray that you would cause strength to come on the inside of us, that you would, as much as we can pray for our marriage, I pray that you would change me, that you would change us from the inside out. And when you change us, when you grow us, when you work the fruit of the Spirit in us, it affects our spouse. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do what you can do in us. I release it to you. Have your way in us. In Jesus.